This is the Getsy Health Podcast with Janique and Tristan Roney. Hey guys, welcome back to the Gutsy Health Podcast. Hi everyone. <laughs> Tristan still has lost his voice and we happen to be recording a bunch of podcasts this week and next week yeah. with him with his voice loss. So, um, so you get to hear this for the next couple of months. <laughs> so yay. Oh, that's really exciting. That's okay. Um, <laughs> that's okay. You guys, we have a really great guest on today. Her name is Jennifer Etnier and she has a lot behind her. She uh, has done research that focuses on cognitive benefits of physical activity and she's a fellow at the American College of Sports Medicine and the National Academy of Kinesiology. A lot of buzz words there that she's going to break down for you guys today. Dr. Ednire has also written two books for the public titled Bring Your A-Game and Coaching for the Love of the Game. So we're going to be talking mostly today about the cognitive benefits of exercise and the research that she's done behind that. And what's really cool is she, like her research has been, uh, we were talking before, her research was quoted in one of my most favorite books called Spark, which talks about exercise and brain health. So Dr. Etnire, welcome, and please introduce yourself, who you are, how you got here, what you do. Oh, thank you so much. Thanks for having me, Janique and Tristan. I'm really excited for this opportunity. I'm a professor at the University of North Carolina at Greensboro, and as you mentioned, I'm in the area of sport and exercise psychology, and the majority of my research for my career has really focused on how exercise and physical activity might be used to benefit cognitive performance or our ability to perform thinking types of tasks. Um, so I'm just thrilled to have the chance to talk with you. I love it. Yeah, this is a really exciting topic for us. I'm going to try to talk with we'll this <laughs> because we actually haven't covered anything exercise specific in like over a year. I yeah, think. I know. It was it's with Jared. A, it's been a long time, but we do have so many people that follow us and so many people we know who they're at our age, right? They're in their thirties or twenties and they're experiencing brain fog all the time. All the time. And they feel like their memory is slipping mm -hmm. and they're just struggling in so many different ways with their cognitive function. And this is going to be one of the greatest tools to get yourself back to where you want to be with it. Right. I, I actually think with our last podcast episode, we spoke about how there's one organ in the body that's designed to benefit off of movement and that's the brain. Mm. And I'm super excited for Dr. Etnire to kind of like delve into that. And uh, Dr. Etnire, how, how did you get into this? Like what, what sparked your interest around exercise and brain health? Oh, that's, uh, that's actually a really fun question because it, it was for personal reasons, sort of like Tristan was just alluding to with, with some of your um, listeners. My parents, as they were getting older, what I really noticed was a difference in my mom's ability to problem solve, uh, mostly around sort of technology, mm -hmm. as compared to my father's lack of ability to do mm -hmm. so. And so, you know, my mom was calling me sort of on a regular basis, talking to me about programming the VCR or as, you know, as time progressed, programming the DVR so that we could record sporting events so that they could watch them at their leisure. And mm -hmm. um, my mom was calling me about using the computer. And, you know, now for many of us, it's how to use Zoom so that we can still interact with our older parents. Mm -hmm. And what I recognized right away was that my mom was really quite gifted at being able to adapt to changes in technology. And I started to wonder if that had anything to do with her lifelong commitment to being physically active and her, her maintenance of physical activity into advanced age. And that's what really prompted me to start looking at the question from a scientific standpoint. That's really amazing. What did she do throughout her life and how old was she when you were asking these questions? Well, I started asking these questions back when she was in her 60s, mm -hmm. <laughs> so 20 years ago, because yeah. she's um, about to have her 80th birthday next Amazing. week, and she still is way more active than I am, and I just find it so impressive. She plays pickleball, which is sort of a oh my gosh, that's popular adorable. new sport for adults. She plays for two to three hours a day. That's wow. amazing. Um, Holy hikes. cow. It is amazing. It is amazing. She wears me out when I go to visit her. Wow. Um, <laughs> I love it. She she hikes a lot and she just stays really active with gardening and all sorts of activities. Oh my gosh. That's amazing. Okay. So have you noticed in her and her peers, like she's just way more like that she, she can do a lot more because not like cognitively than her peers. Have you noticed that? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. 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 So she, she's the one now that for the family is scheduling the zoom meetings so oh that we my can celebrate gosh. birthdays together. Oh, and, you know, not, not all young adults can do that. So yeah. 
I think for sure that her commitment to physical activity has allowed her to maintain her cognitive ability into advanced stage. I kind of love that what she chooses is like hiking and pickleball with friends and family. I don't know who she's playing with, but it's not like she's hitting the gym for 45 minutes a day and she's on a program. She's doing things that she loves and brings connection and movement. And so um, I'm not sure if that's important at all, but I think that's actually very beautiful. Yeah, I think, I think that, that we have a lot to learn still about the types of physical activity that can be the most beneficial because, as you're mentioning there, what she's doing includes social interactions as well. Yeah. So it's not, it may or may not be the same as exercising on a treadmill by yourself, mm. right? And that's something that research is, is still trying to figure out. Okay, so that's still new research. Like, we, we don't have the answers yet to that. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Yeah, I think I think people are getting more and more intrigued by this notion of sort of cognitively engaging types mm-hmm. of physical activity mm-hmm. um, and also socially engaging physical activity. So, you know, some neat research to do in the future would be to find out, well, is it different if I walk on a treadmill or what if I walk on a treadmill and while I'm walking on the treadmill, I listen to a podcast, yeah. which requires me to listen mm. to the interviewer and the interviewee and to sort of go back and forth in my mind. Yes. Um, or what about if I'm learning a language while I walk on the treadmill? Oh. Or what if I'm outside? You guys mentioned you live in the mountains. Like what if I'm outside in a yeah. beautiful setting in, um, in a place where the, there's challenges with the environment, just watching for rocks and, and going up and down inclines. Yeah. And then what if I add in that I'm interacting with somebody? Yeah. Is someone doing this research? Like, I'm genuinely curious. Is someone out there paying test subjects to do this right now? Because <laughs> I want to know the answers. That's a great question. Yeah, you want to know the answer. Well, there, there are people who are researching the differences between outdoor exercise and indoor exercise. Mm-hmm. Um, but Just as you true. can imagine, it's sort of a hard question yeah. to address because once you go outside, there's, so there's all factors. kinds of things that have been added. Yeah, right? there's so many factors that you need to control. And yeah, I, I could totally see that. So, so tell us a little bit about your your research that you've done when you started doing it, like, because we spoke about the book spark a little bit and you mentioned that your research was mentioned in, in spark. Tell us a little bit about what you have, have studied and what your findings have been through that. Sure. Well, the, the original work that I did really did truly follow up precisely on the, on what I posed to you initially, which is an interest in if older adults problem solving abilities could be enhanced by being physically active. Mm -hmm. And so I, my original work was actually looking at the ability to learn a new motor skill mm-hmm. and if that was influenced by age and activity. And I found out that it was influenced by both. So mm-hmm. the older adults who were, um, the older adults generally learn the task more slowly than the younger adults, right. unless they were very physically active. Mm-hmm. If they were very physically active, then their learning, their speed at which they could learn the novel task more looked more like that of the younger adults. Very cool. So that's really where I started. And, and the question of age has, has stayed of interest to me. So it's interesting to think about the potential benefits of physical activity for cognition in young adults, like Tristan mentioned, that we're thinking about 20 and 30-year-olds mm-hmm. as compared to older adults. And um, so we've, we've been pursuing research that continues to look at that question. We've also looked at, and I, I hope you guys find this interesting, we've looked at long-time participation in physical activity, like a lifestyle commitment to physical activity or joining a program that's six weeks long or six months long or a year long. But we've also looked at a single session of exercise and whether or not a single session of exercise can benefit cognitive performance. And, um, and most of the time when we do that type of research, we find that it does. Amazing. What, and, what are you seeing? Well, what I want to share with you really is that what we find is that if you look at behavioral performance, like can you do a memory task? Can you do a task where you have to respond quickly? Mm -hmm. Then what we typically find is that older adults don't do as well as younger adults. Yeah. That physical activity, whether it's a single session or a long-term commitment to physical activity, we see benefits that are larger for the older adults when we look at behavioral measures. Mm -hmm. But we can still see effects with younger people. So even if you're in your 20s to 30s, if you are currently sedentary and you began an exercise program, you are likely to experience benefits that we could see behaviorally on measures of cognition. That is so cool. But that- what's really interesting, Janique, let me tell you this part. What's really cool is there's been some, a few studies now that have started to look at brain structure and brain function mm-hmm. using magnetic resonance imaging, mm-hmm. MRI. Mm-hmm. 
And what we find is that we can see differences in brain structure in response to long-term physical activity. And we can see those benefits even in younger adults. I love it. I love it so much. It just shows us that the, the brain is plastic, right? It grows. It can create n- new neural pathways. And like physical activity is super important component of that. It's not just sitting behind a book and memorizing things. Like you will memorize it better if your body is moving. It sounds like, am I correct? Yeah. 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 That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And, and when I give talks to college age students, one of the things that I'll tell them is, Hey, we have research that actually shows that if you exercise prior to studying, mm-hmm. you are likely to perform better on the test tomorrow. Oh my gosh. Right. So, that's so, so amazing. even though the exercise Like you recover, your heart rate recovers. Mm -hmm. That's great. But something is happening internally in the brain that's benefiting your ability to retain information. I love that. And it's not just information, like your mood improves, your energy improves, your sleep improves, like all of that. Let me ask you something. Are you, because I know the answer for myself, are you terrified for this new like uh, generation of kids that are in front of computers and video games and iPads and iPhones all the time? (laughs) Yeah, that's a great question, and, and I'll definitely have my kids listen to this talk now. After <laughs> I say. So, I have, I have teenagers, and it's it is a constant battle, and it is a constant fear about how yeah. much time they spend looking at a screen. Yeah. And you know, looking at a screen is one thing, but when it also takes away from your physical activity yes. time mm-hmm. and your time just to be creative and your time just to have quiet time in your mind, yeah, you know that that definitely worries me. Right. Totally. Well, and connecting with people like physically, you know, we, your mom is playing pickleball and hiking. She's probably doing it. She's obviously playing with people during pickleball and maybe she's hiking by herself or with friends, but like, it just seems like a no brainer, like move and be with people. And now our kids from the age of like two, three, four, they're not, they're in front of screens, interacting with a computer with blue lights, like blasting their brain. And now they're getting insomnia and depression and all of these mood disorders. And it's, it's the opposite end of the spectrum, right? Exercising enhances mood, mood enhances memory, enhances all good things. And what our lifestyle is doing now is completely causing deterioration in all of those aspects and areas. And it's a little scary. Well, I think to add to that, Janique, another thing that, that to me is frightening about that is my mom is playing pickleball as an 80 year old, but she didn't learn how to play racket sports as an older adult because that's when she realized she needed to be physically active. Mm-hmm. She learned as a child. And then because she has mm-hmm. that skill set, yes. she can go back to those sorts of sports or she can maintain those sports as an adult. But, right. you know, again, if our kids aren't simply learning the habits of walking and being outdoors and hiking and enjoying nature. And they're not learning the skills necessary to do lifestyle physical activity, Mm -hmm. right? If they're not learning how to golf or to play tennis or to play basketball or to play soccer or to play, you know, many of the sports and activities that you can continue into older age, Mm -hmm. then they can't even pick them up when they suddenly, they suddenly go, Oh, this is important, right? It's, It's more difficult to become physically active if you haven't been as a young person. Totally. So basically what we're seeing is that there's a, a haves and a haves not situation going on where those who get these opportunities when they're very young have advantages throughout their entire lifespan, whereas those who don't have the opportunities at a young age are forever at a disadvantage. Right. And the later they wait to pick it up, the harder it is for them to get the benefits from that and to get into a good groove with that. So by... Uh, denying yeah. our children the opportunities when they're very young that sets them on a path of less likely to be successful later on, which then translates over into the cognitive benefits. That's wow. Yeah. That's huge. That is really yeah. huge. Yeah. I mean, you've, you've really framed that in a way that, that does make it incredibly disturbing when you think of it yeah. that way, but, but you're, I think you're right. You know, I think for people who maintain physical activity into adulthood and older age, one of the things that allows them to do that is being flexible in the types of activities they can choose. Mm -hmm. Right. So we don't, when we're growing up, we don't know where we're going to end up living as an adult. We don't know if we're going to be in the city or in a more rural area. We don't know if we're going to be in the mountains or near the beach, you know, or in the central part of America where there's not as many opportunities that include like skiing or, or mountain biking or hiking in the mountains, you know, Mm -hmm. but So I guess it's, I just think it's so important that children are exposed early to lots of physical activity behaviors so that when they end up wherever they're going to end up, they can then choose to participate in 
you know, adult recreational sports, or they can choose to join an outdoor group that does hiking or biking, or they can choose to join a swimming club or, you know, whatever it might be. Um, But all all that being said, I should also make it really clear that we also know that just walking is enough for the mental health benefits of exercise. And wherever you live, as long as it's safe enough for you to be out of doors, um, walking is an activity that we can all participate in. Absolutely. I think that's the hopeful message from this, that even one session of very basic exercise does have benefits. So no matter where you've been in the past and no matter how you're feeling about your current abilities, doing literally anything is going to provide benefits to your brain and your body. That's wonderful. So, Doc, can you tell us yeah. a little bit more about the differences between, like, do, do you know or has any of your research been around, like, cardio versus weight training? Or do you have any opinion on that? Or, like, you know, you said just a walk is good enough. A lot of people are going to want specifics. Like, I want high-intensity training for 30 minutes a day required or whatever. What, what are some guidelines that you can give people that are listening that they can say, okay, I'm going to check off all of these boxes because people really love lists. <laughs> so what lists can you give us? Yeah. Yeah. Well, the, the evidence that we have does show that both cardiovascular forms of exercise and also resistance forms of exercise can benefit cognition. Mm-hmm. And maybe importantly, we also find from some reviews of the literature that if you do a combination of cardiovascular and strength training, mm-hmm. that then that's when you're going to get your, your biggest benefits for cognition. Very cool. Most of the work that we've done suggests that Moderate intensity exercise is going to be your best bet for getting yeah. benefits. Yeah. But it's, it's actually really interesting. I hope you guys will find this interesting to me that we also will see some benefits with low intensity exercise, which would include walking. Yeah. But we also find that like with high intensity exercise, sometimes we'll see cognitive benefits, but it's a little more, it becomes a little more person dependent mm-hmm. because if you're not used to doing high intensity exercise, then clearly the body's response is not going to be all positive. Right. It's, it's going to hurt. You're going to be tired. You're going to be, you know, the body will have been physically stressed right. beyond what it's used to. And so high intensity exercise may give great benefits to people who are used to training that way, but mm-hmm. it's not like we would recommend it for somebody who, who hasn't been training in that fashion. Right. Exactly. That makes perfect The sense. other thing that I guess I'll say that I think is really important is Although a single session of exercise benefits cognition, and we certainly see that, the evidence clearly suggests that regular exercise is going to give you more durable benefits. And that is likely because it's actually having an impact on brain structure, a positive impact like Mm -hmm. we talked about. So to me, the most important thing to recommend is that people do a form of physical activity that they can stick with. So if you like hiking then hike by all means. I don't want to force you to swim. Mm-hmm. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Because because then you're not going to stick with it, right? Mm-hmm. So that's a little bit of a cop-out answer, and I, I understand that. No, but I really appreciate it. Know is that <laughs> sticking with it is really the most important thing because then you're going to get these enduring benefits. And if you start with low-intensity ex- exercise, but then as you become more accustomed to that, you gradually increase the intensity of what you're doing, then mm-hmm. you are likely to receive more benefits. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But if that's going to discourage you from being active, then, then don't do something that's going to discourage that stick with what you can do. Exactly. And, and what you like to do, right. and what yeah. you like to do and what you like to do, even like, would you say even doing some stretching for like five to 10 minutes for someone, you know, that you, they're just getting back into the exercise game there's benefits to even starting with stretching and then moving to walking and then doing light yoga. And then, you know, like as long as we're just moving the body, any kind of movement that is not, not familiar to what you've done, you know, cause walking is very linear, you know, everything goes front, back, front, back. There's nothing that goes side to side and sideways, like up to the right corner, down to the left corner, you know? So just doing motions like that, that tricks the brain. So it can be stretching, it can be yoga, it can be anything. All of those things are beneficial, wouldn't you say? Yeah, absolutely. And, and I do actually regret something I said just a few seconds ago when I said everybody can walk. I, that's, that's a really insensitive comment. And so I apologize to the <clears throat> listeners for saying that. For people who are capable of walking, walking is a great place mm-hmm. to start. Yeah. If you are, have physical limitations or have safety limitations or 
really have been sedentary for so long that even walking is a challenge, mm-hmm. then I totally agree with you, Janique. Starting with stretching and, and even just even just movement around the house, yeah. you know, even just uh, activities of daily living that yeah. get you up and about. Even yeah. just, you know, when we used to go to the mall, you guys remember that time? <laughs> yes. When, when you could go places. Um, when you used to go places, you could park further away just to get a few mm-hmm. extra steps mm-hmm. as you go into, you know, whatever it, <laughs> yeah. whatever it yeah. used to be, watching yeah. a movie, going to the mall, going to the store, you right. know. Um, but yeah, Janique, you're exactly right. Start with things that feel good to you and it's all going to be relative to where your current level of fitness is. The only reason why I bring that up is I'm going to share a funny story. Um, some of my followers on Instagram know this. I got a concussion like a month and a half ago. I finally followed up with a doctor this week and he, he did some like eye movements to just make sure my, my brain's okay. And he's like, yeah, you're doing okay. I just want you to move your eyes from like corner to corner because that's something our brain isn't used to doing. And that's a way to strengthen your brain and your brain's patterns. It's like these, these cross hemisphere movements and so I was like well that obviously translates into body movement as well because he spoke about how we just walk forward and backwards and we don't walk side to side and he's like you know move side to side move your eyes from corner to corner you know top right hand corner bottom left hand corner and he's like and that's really going to help like with this repatterning of your brain and the cross the crossing of the hemispheres the left hemisphere to the right hemisphere and so that's why I was like oh twisting and stretching and all of that that's that's got to be doing the same thing right so long story short, I'm okay. I'm not concussed. My brain is fine. But you can strengthen your brain after a concussion by doing these kinds of activities, right? And and I think of like how a lot of people, are, they, we just go running and that's just like arms forward, legs forward. And that's great. And that's good cardio. But like, I love with the pickleball, like you have to go sideways and that's completely different mm-hmm. sets of brain function working different ways from moving forward and backwards, which our bodies are most used to. And that's probably why yoga is so effective too because that is there's no pattern there there's no front and back and side to side it's every which way in every dimension and every mm. quadrant of your body working at different times so all of it is just you know any yeah. kind of unique movement helps the that neuroplasticity of the brain to get better and healthier and stronger and younger so there we go that's all i wanted to say <laughs> yeah no it's a, it's a great comment and i and i think it ties back into this notion of it being cognitively engaging right so yes. So what you described initially is sort of you're sitting stationary, but you're trying to cognitively engage mm-hmm. by doing these these cross-hemisphere movements with your eyes and, and just trying to, in a very gradual way, re-challenge the brain so that there is some healing in the example that you gave. Exactly. Um, and, and your mention of pickleball, you know, that that's not the only type of activity like that. So, right. so things that people really enjoy, like if you like to dance, dance Mm, you know if you like to do tai chi do tai chi you know any of these types of activities can potentially have benefits for cognitive functioning totally and new neuro pathways i'm gonna quickly change subject a little bit can you tell us a little bit about your books that you've written uh bring your a game and coaching for the love of the game what are those about yeah, sure. So those, those sort of pursue a, a secondary passion of mine, which is linked to this because you guys have helped establish that link because of the notion of how important I think youth sport participation is for kids. Mm-hmm. They are really written to help kids um, have a better experience in the sport setting. And so Bring Your A-Game is written for kids who want to get everything they can out of their sport experience mm-hmm. by thinking about goal setting in those scenarios, thinking about energy management for performance to make sure that they really have like reached their performance goals in sport. The second book I wrote though is really written for coaches and it's much more about participation for the pure value of participation. And so Mm -hmm. it's written to educate recreational level coaches or really all levels of coaches in terms of meeting the kids where they are in sport so that you ensure that they have a positive experience. And I just think that's so important. I'm really passionate about it because sadly, so many children have negative experiences in youth sport and drop out of youth sport. And then, like I was mentioning, don't have all these various avenues in terms of their skill sets to be become or maintain physical activity when they move into adulthood. Yeah. So the second book is really written to try to help coaches remember why they're coaching, which I, I firmly believe is because they want their youth athletes to have a positive experience. Yeah. That's awesome. I actually can give you a really good example of that. 
growing up, my eighth grade football, no, seventh grade football was awful. We just had these terrible coaches. They made us miserable. The whole season was just suffering for me. And I quit football. I never played it again. But tennis, I had a really awesome coach, a really great team. They made the experience very fun and inclusive. They found a way to help us all feel like we were a part of the team and just enjoy ourselves. And I ended up playing tennis, you know, all the way through high school and then continued to play it uh, recreationally for years and years after that. So it really can make a huge difference what kind of experience these kids have at a very young age. Yeah. Yeah. And you were, it sounds like you were lucky, Tristan, because you had an alternative that you could go to. You know, the sad yes. thing is if, if you hadn't had an alternative and so football experience was terrible and so you quit doing that and then you don't identify another way to become physically active, then we as physical activity, you know, promoters lose you from physical activity for who knows how long. Right, right. I'm actually experiencing that with my son where he does not like sports whatsoever. We actually enrolled him in soccer a couple years ago. He hated it. Like he would cry after the game. And I loved sports growing up. And so I have no idea how to like... You know, I, I bought him like a rock climbing pass. He hates rock climbing. My daughter loves it. And so, and recognizing like, oh my gosh, like movement is so important. Like, what the heck do we do? How do we get kids to fall in love with this? Because we are competing against instant gratification, cell phones and video games. And I don't know, what what do kids play? Even, even television. Even television. Yes, even television, you know, because us as parents, we're so busy, we're so tired, we're so frazzled. It's easy to just put a TV on versus like, run them down to the sports field. So in your book, do you cover that? Bring your A game. Like how do we get kids to fall in love with movement and sports? Like where do we even start there so that we can set them up for these thriving adults that just love to move. They feel empowered in their bodies. They, they love exercise and activity because it's invigorating and gives them energy. Um, like what, where do we even start with this dilemma? Yeah. I mean, I think that's a great question. I, you know, I've had the same challenges with my own kids. I have two boys who are, they will self-select to be physically active pretty regularly. They play soccer tennis with each other all the time and they play soccer Mm -hmm. um, as their predominant form of physical activity. But my daughter really enjoys a lot more sedentary activity. She's an incredible illustrator and a writer, but the things that she loves are much more sedentary in nature. And so What we've done, and I mean, this will sound silly maybe, but I, I often will put the, uh, I could have air quotes. You can see me doing air quotes. Mm-hmm. I will put the word family mm-hmm. in front of activities that we do. And I will say, we are going on a family walk. We are mm-hmm. going on a family bike ride. We are going to play family soccer, family tennis, family pickleball, family yeah, whatever. That, yeah. I put family in front of it. And my kids know right away that what that means is we're all participating. <laughs> I love and, it. <laughs> um, and so with my daughter, who it's been more important for because she hasn't self-selected to be engaged in sport, we go on family walks or a lot of times it's just me and her. But like on Thanksgiving Day, it was a family walk for sure. We mm-hmm. all five went walking. But most nights I will touch base with her right before she's or right after she gets home from school. And I'll be like, Let's plan to walk today. And it's, I mean, you guys probably know if you have a commitment to go with somebody else, it makes it easier to go, right? So if she knows that I want to walk and I don't really want to walk alone. And so she is in some ways just being kind to me by walking with me. Mm -hmm. But what has happened, and this is what's really cool is I would say that she now will choose to walk on her own much more readily because it's become a habit for her and it's become something that she has learned to enjoy, but she didn't enjoy it at first. Yeah. At first she was pretty reluctant. Right. And I did say to her, I mean, I, I have let her listen to her music while we walk, Yeah. I but we that. can still talk. She's not listening it to it so loudly that we can't talk. And Janique, I'll just say this last thing, which is it is some of the most important and valuable time that I could possibly have with my teenage daughter. I love that. Because we do talk, you know, Mm -hmm. and sometimes I talk most of the time, but a lot of times she talks most of the time. Right. Right. So I don't know if that's a real answer, but I I think just sort of having forced exposure, but but making that it's not miserable. Yeah. Like I'll ask my kids what, you know, it's a beautiful day. Would you guys like to go on a bike ride or go for a walk or play family soccer? Yeah. And so I give them some autonomy, some freedom of choice. I let them pick what we're going to do, let them have input into you know, how long we're going to go, where we're going to go, those sorts of things. So yeah. that it's, I'm mandating that we do something, but I'm not mandating exactly what we do. Yeah. 
I can I right. I'm giving them some choice, and so I'm hoping to develop in them the habits of of being physically active on their own. I love that. Go ahead. Uh, I really love that concept of making it a family activity mm-hmm. because that does make it so much easier for literally everybody in the family to participate in it. Not just the kids, but for a lot of our listeners, they're also trying to come up with ways that they can be more active. Right. And sometimes we can't get motivated to do things for ourselves, but we can get motivated to do those things for our children yeah. because we really care about them. We want them to, to be happy and turn out okay. So doing these things as a family is kind of the perfect solution. It helps the family to bond and spend time together. And it gives everybody that physical activity. I love it. I was just going to say that a lot of times the parents aren't being physically active enough either. Yeah. So we we need to take responsibility ourselves for being physically active and role model for our kids and show them that we're willing to be active too. Yeah. Um, I'll say one quick thing, which is really quite an aside, but, you know, I often think about kids who are at soccer practice and if the parents stay, a lot of times they just sit in chairs on the sideline for the whole hour. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, why in the world aren't the soccer facilities set up so that there's a walking track around the outer edge? Oh, yeah. Or why doesn't somebody from that soccer club just hire somebody to do an hour of activity with the parents while they're sitting there? Right, right. Think how right much idea. investment you would get from the families into your club. Mm-hmm. Think how much you would help public health. 100%. Think how much more engaged those parents would be and how much more committed they'd be to coming out to bring mm-hmm. their child to practice. Like there's so many opportunities for us to to make youth sport and youth, youth physical activity a way to actually get parents more engaged as well. Yeah, I agree 100%. I want to share some anxiety that's actually coming up in me right now. And I hope that's okay because, yes, it's really great that we talk about this. But I see this trend where the youth right now are teenagers. They're more depressed than ever. They're on more medications than ever for brain imbalances. They're either hyperactive or depressed, right? And then these kids are going to turn into adults. And when you are in that mental state of depression or anxiety, it's actually really hard to get initiative to move your body and to get out of that rut, right? Like we become so dependent on these medications. And then we're going to have that kind of mass mindset or that mass dis. I don't even want to call it dysfunction because that sounds so judgmental. And I want to portray this from a very loving, safe space. But this is, you know, technology has turned us into something that is not natural, right? Like it's not natural to sit in front of a blue screen for hours a day doing homework, watching TikTok or YouTubes or Facebook or Instagram. That's not natural. It doesn't help our brains. So we're all getting these sleep disorders and these brain imbalances. And then this generation of kids is going to grow up to be adults and parents. And how are they going to train that programming out of their children? Is this something that we are just doomed to see happen in front of our eyes? Does that make sense? Like this is the anxiety that I feel. We need to act now before we get stuck in this sinking mud that just sucks us in. Because you, know, I don't know, I, I guess... Like this, this is so important that we keep moving, that we keep our brains healthy. You know, it doesn't have to just be like a medication. We can change our lifestyle. We can move, but I hope it's not too late. I hope we can like stop that momentum from, from happening and reverse it in this, in these teenagers and these younger kids as they grow up. I guess that's, that's it. That's the anxiety. One of the, one of the things that's happened with the COVID pandemic is that so many kids now are not able to go face to face to school and there's so much value in them being with their peers in terms of their social interactions and in terms of being pulled off a screen because, Mm -hmm. you know, at most schools, most of the day you are not on the screen. Right. But the other thing, and I think this is really important, they are not getting to interact with their physical educators. No, yeah. um, mm-hmm. Unfortunately, in this country, kids, kids, physical education is not as much a part of the school day as it used to be. So many places, I don't know how it is for you all live, but many places it's only required maybe two or three days a week. Yeah. It's only required for elementary school and middle school, and they yeah. take it out in high school. Yeah. And I just think that that's one part of the problem that you're talking about, Janique, because you need physical educators to teach children how to be physically active in Mm -hmm. multiple ways so that they can continue that into adulthood. And 
right now when kids aren't even in the schools. Yep. Now it's even more on the parents yeah. to yes. help their kids be physically active. And and a lot of parents don't have the skill sets or the knowledge or maybe the facilities or, you know, if you live in an apartment in New York City, it's hard mm-hmm. to find a way to be physically active with your right. kids. Or the so, mental or emotional bandwidth because maybe mom has lost their job because of COVID or dad has lost their right. job. You know, like I don't that's think right. we are ever right. going to see it, the ripple effect of this whole pandemic and what that meant to us. And we're not going to see it for years and years to come and the damage. It does though reinforce sort of this idea that I threw out there of doing things as a family though, because I think it's important for everybody for, for the adults in the family who are dealing with depression and anxiety and everything else that comes with this pandemic for the kids who are dealing with it because Mm -hmm. they're away from their friends, they're trapped at home. Like, being out of doors and doing things as a family, whatever it is that you can figure out. I mean, if you're in an apartment and you don't have a place to be outside, find um, somebody who does the fun boot camp on YouTube yeah. and do it as a family. Yeah, that's such you a know, great spend idea. Spend 20 minutes being active in your space with your family and it'll bring some joy to you. It will, I mean, we know that exercise reduces anxiety. We know that exercise benefits depression. We know that exercise helps kids with ADHD yeah. and adults with ADHD. Yeah. So, you know, just if anybody is listening to this and can take up the challenge of figuring out a way to get some more physical activity into your life, into your kid's life and your family's life, Mm -hmm. uh, my bet is if you stick with it for a week or two, you will start to actually see the differences that quickly. Definitely. And I think that's a really important point is that it may not be enjoyable at first, right? The first few times you might feel like you are just forcing yourself through it and that it's a chore, but the more you do it, the more it becomes a just a habit for you. Right. And eventually you get to a point where you realize you look forward to it and you really enjoy it. And mm-hmm. you can't even remember those days when it was really hard for you. Right. But that, that takes some persistence and consistency over at least a few yeah. weeks. Right. Yeah, and for people who are regularly active, then if they have to miss a day, Mm-hmm. then, then they're, that's when they feel bad. Yeah, exactly. Right? So, yes. So that we all have that friend. Like everybody to get. <laughs> we all yeah. have that friend that we know when they miss leg day, right? Because they whine about it all day long. And we're like, <laughs> we know you miss the gym, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and we love it. We secretly love it. Right. So no, like, I think this has been a really great uh, talking point, you know, where it's like, like we can't afford to not exercise anymore. Like there's so much, that our body needs out of it, that our brain needs out of it. Oh, can we talk about, you said you've done some research with Alzheimer's and exercising. Can we, can we talk a little bit about what you are seeing with that research? Yeah, sure. So I'm excited to talk about that. The, we're, right now we're doing a clinical trial that's supported by the National Institute of Aging. And what we're looking at is the potential benefits of a one-year commitment to physical activity For people who are 40 to 65 years old and have a family history of Alzheimer's disease. Mm -hmm. So I think your listeners might really appreciate the value of this. What basically what we're saying is that even in people who are currently cognitively normal and cognitively healthy, Mm -hmm. we expect that if they participate in exercise for a year, they're going to get behavioral benefits and also brain structure and brain function benefits Mm -hmm. that we'll be able to see. And what we anticipate is that we're going to see those benefits even in people who, in addition to their family risk of Alzheimer's, also have a genetic risk for Alzheimer's. Mm. And so I'll just say one more thing and then I'll let you, if you have some follow-up questions, that'd be great. We know that even in 20 and 30 year olds, if they have a genetic risk for Alzheimer's disease, their brain looks different from 20 to 30-year-olds who do not have that genetic risk for Alzheimer's disease. Oh, wow. So for all of us who are healthy cognitively right now, mm-hmm. we can still get benefits from physical activity that maybe we can't see them behaviorally. Like right. I, I'm not having any trouble with my memory right now, mm-hmm. but the physical activity that I participate in is improving my brain health yeah. in a way that may pay dividends when I'm older. Yeah. It's epigenetics, right? Like our activity turns on or off genes, you know, our nutrition turns on or off genes, our stress turns on or off genes, like the genes are there. It's just, we decide whether we want it expressed or not. It it sounds like is what you're saying, correct? Yeah. And the sedentary behavior the same way, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Sedentary. If if we're choosing to be sedentary, that may be having an epigenetic effect that is then going to have long-term effects for us. Now, not to, not to scare people, but 
there is some research that just recently got published showing that missing bill payments and credit card payments is one of the earliest signs of future dementia. And so if you are out there right now and you're one of those people, it's like, oh, I always forget to pay my bills or I always miss my credit card payment. You need to exercise. Get on it fast. <laughs> what if they're just really unorganized? Well, <laughs> because that's me and you're the one that takes care of the bills. Like, no, I actually already know that I have some genetic predispositions. We did my, it, it's, I think it's for MSO. Not Alzheimer's. Anyways, mm. anyways, but but uh, some other neurological thing. Well, you know, we're, one, oh, go ahead. one of the things we're trying to do with this clinical trial, we have a we have a Facebook page. It's Pad Two P A A D, and then the number two mm-hmm. on the Facebook page, and we're trying to just sort of share some of this important science with people in a very consumable and accessible way. Mm -hmm. So what you were just talking about, Tristan, there's, you know, there's some interesting things that have come out with hearing loss as a risk factor for Alzheimer's. And we know that things related to socioeconomic status and music, listening to music as a, as a protective variable that you Mm -hmm. can use against Alzheimer's. So we're learning more and more all the time about risk factors and also lifestyle choices that we can make Um, that impact ultimately our chances of of having Alzheimer's or, you know, maybe even more importantly, I I might not be able to, if if I have a family history and a genetic predisposition to Alzheimer's, it may be that I'm going to get Alzheimer's in my future. Mm -hmm. That that may be kind of predetermined and nothing can stop it. Mm -hmm. That being said, if I'm physically active and cognitively engaged and socially engaged and listening to music and doing all of these lifestyle things that I can, I might delay the time at which I start to experience clinical symptoms and mm-hmm. might buy for myself, you know, three years or five years or 10 years of quality of life to the point where maybe I, I pass away from something else and the yeah, Alzheimer's yeah. never becomes a, an okay. issue for me. That's huge. I think um, the one episode that we did a year ago, we started it with, if you could take a pill in the morning that improved your mood, your energy, your sleep, your cognition, helped you memorize things better, you know, it was anti-aging, would you take that pill? And obviously everyone's going to be like, yes, I would totally take that pill. Well, that pill is 30 minutes of exercise every day, right? Like that's literally it. Like it has all of these benefits. Why would we not prioritize it? So with your research in combination with epigenetics, you know, even mitochondrial function, we've been talking, we, we had an episode on mitochondrial function and how exercise improves mitochondrial function, right? And when you have improved mitochondrial function, you're healing better, you're repairing better, you have more energy. You know, exercise is one of those things that directly correlates with a higher production of mitochondria who wouldn't want more batteries to their cells, right? So this is something so easy that we can prioritize, but sometimes we go we exercise too hard, right? Like we hit the gym for two hours. And then like you were saying earlier, we push our bodies out of that comfortable limit. And now it's prioritizing healing and repairing and not like cognition. And it's not sustainable. And it's not it sustainable. You. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And so like really, it, yeah. it's really just 30 minutes a day, 45 minutes a day for depending on, you know, your body type, your genetics, your history of exercise and what you have been doing in the past. But well, and I think, you know, you're, you're bringing up some great points, Janique, because they, they've done some studies too, where they've asked people, do you know that exercise is good for you? And the vast majority of people respond yes. Mm-hmm. And then the, you know, the next question is, do you exercise 30 minutes a day? And mm-hmm. the vast majority of people say no. Mm-hmm. So it's not from lack of knowledge, right? right. Like people know that exercise helps. Yep. Um, the, the challenge is fitting it into your day. And, mm-hmm. you know, techniques that work for a lot of people, one important technique is to schedule exercise as a part of your day. Mm-hmm. So people who do not exercise regularly will say that they don't have time. Yeah. But if you look objectively at the time commitments of people who don't exercise and people who do exercise, mm-hmm. oftentimes those who exercise actually have more commitments in their lives, more responsibilities than those who don't. Mm -hmm. But the difference is these people with more commitments and more responsibilities schedule exercise into their life. So, you know, I know a lot of people who get up 30 minutes early so that they can exercise at home before everybody else is up. I know people who schedule it during their, during their lunch break. I know Mm -hmm. people who go straight from work to wherever they're going to be physically active. And again, I'll also mention the importance of having a commitment to meet somebody else. So if you, if you want to start walking, 
but but can't seem to get up the you know the, the commitment to do it on your own yeah think about doing it with a friend think about doing it with a neighbor right ask, yeah. ask right. your next door neighbor if they'd like to start walking with you then then two people can get out there and if mm-hmm. it's a commitment i'm going to meet you at 5 30 tomorrow to right. walk and i'll meet you at 5 30 the next day to walk right. then your likelihood of following through just goes up dramatically absolutely well and you're accountable to someone else and not yourself yeah. you know and so you're yeah. you're most yeah. likely to that's exactly right and and i'm speaking from a female's perspective of someone who has a lot of anxiety and tends to be a people pleaser like yeah i'll show up for you before i show up for myself kind of thing you know what i yeah. mean so so mm-hmm. if if you mm-hmm. are that personality type you know have someone hold you accountable in the beginning until it feels good until you you feel like you can hold yourself accountable because you're enjoying it and you love it and again yeah. i do want this podcast to come from a place of love mm-hmm. and because like i'll be honest this has been my exercise rut year where I've had the excuses. I'm too busy. I'm too tired. I don't have enough time for my kids. And I've been the one that's made all the excuses. Right. And then I'm like, well, I'll sign up for a gym. I'll get a personal trainer. No, like all I had to do was start with 10 minutes with like rubber bands and push-ups, you know, and then that turned yeah. into rubber bands, push-ups and some weights. And then that turned into rubber bands, push-ups, some weights and squats, you know, and it, it doesn't have to be this big, massive ordeal. Um, maybe just showing up for yourself in the beginning by just putting some exercise clothes on and doing 15 push-ups. That's it. And then you can increase yeah. more and more and more. But I think the important well, thing and, is, and I, yeah. and I will say again, Janique, I say do it with your kids. Do it with yes. your kids. Right? Yes. I mean, we're, we're all strapped for time, but our, our kids need to be physically active mm-hmm. too, you know, and, and it's fun. It I is, mean, it's yeah. so, it is so great to be physically active with your children It is, and, and important and a way that you can, you know, multitask essentially, mm-hmm. right? Because yeah. then you're, then you're, you're not taking away from your children to be physically active. Yes. You're, exactly. you're, you're giving to your children by being physically active with them. Yes. And monkey see, monkey do. They see mom exercise. Right. They want to exercise. Yeah. This is what my parents do. So yeah. this is what I do. Right. And so then when they yeah. get older, they're, you know, that's what has been modeled to them. And so they're mo- more likely to be active. That's actually been one of the most beautiful things about exercising here at home is they see me do it. They, they want to get involved. They'll say, mom, let's go exercising. Whereas before I've dropped them off at, at like a daycare at a gym and then I'd go off and they didn't see me exercise there. They didn't know what I was doing, you know? So it, it is, it's a great opportunity to, you know, play with your kids, have them get involved, you know, turn it into a game, you know, maybe it's yeah. not a 10 minute exercise well, and, and routine. It's 30 minutes or whatever. But. It doesn't have to be work. You can, mm-hmm. you can be creative, right? Yeah. So, I mean, if you're playing hide and seek with your kids, if you're mm-hmm. playing monster in the dark with your kids, that is hard that work. Is a, that is a form of physical uh-huh. activity. Yeah, it's, <laughs> yeah. That was so it's, hard. It's a ton of fun, yeah. you know? And so, um, yeah, you can, we played my mom who we started talking about, we played capture the flag the last time we were at the beach mm-hmm. and my mom took the, the task of kind of guarding the, guarding the flag. Yeah. <laughs> and it was just so funny. I'll never forget when, when this 10 year old came running, it was dark and there, there were some lights on at this little park that we were at, but this 10 year old came running up. He was going to totally grab the flag. And then this 80 year old steps out and tags him. Oh, <laughs> that's adorable. <laughs> that is so cute. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, we can all play Spud or kick the can or monster in the dark or hide and seek or mm-hmm. do some fun boot camps together, you yeah. know, and make it exercise shouldn't be work. That exercise shouldn't. should be enjoyable. And I think that's what it's turned into is work. It's turned into, we go to the gym and we do X amount of this and Y amount of this and you know, Z amount of this. And, and I think you, you've just reminded us like, no, it doesn't have to be that way. Like it actually should be way more organic than what we are turning it into. So thank you. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great, that's a great descriptor. Absolutely. The other thing that I've been hearing during this conversation is it kind of comes down to the sort of the biases that we have in our mind as we go through a day, which is that kind of our default for a lot of people is to look for reasons to do less work to put less energy into things. But if we can make some very subtle shifts mm-hmm. and get ourselves thinking about what can I do that's just a little bit more, like you mentioned earlier, parking a little bit further away from the store or finding a way to get in a few extra steps or just do a little bit more work with what you're doing. And while that might be very, very subtle and very small, that will add up in a big way and it'll start to shift your mental bias towards being more active and enjoying that 
rather than being less active and, and going away from that. Right. Uh, you know, I had a, before the COVID pandemic, I was spending some time thinking about how interesting it was to me. My, my family, we don't go out to eat very much at all. We never have. So the shutting down of restaurants and things hasn't changed things for us. Mm-hmm. But I have often thought about how much energy we use just through the fact that we cook meals together mm, and eat yeah. in our own kitchen and dining room. Because different than a restaurant, right? Like who's taking the plates back for them to be washed? Right. Well, somebody is. One right. of us is. One of us can, If we don't have enough milk on the table, who's hopping up to get the milk? Well, mm. somebody is, not the wait staff. Yeah. So I've... I've been curious. I mean, I I actually think that although this pandemic has been horrible and, oh my gosh, the loss of life is terrible and my heart goes out to all the families who have been affected in so many different ways. If there is a positive, one positive is that one positive is that lots of people have learned how to use virtual ways of connecting with friends and family and that will stick. You know, I'll still be able to Zoom with my brother who lives in Washington even after the pandemic is gone and and we didn't have that skill set before. Right. Um, but another positive has been families are cooking together more. Yes, families are it. home together more and are getting more activities of daily living just from that. And right. more families are walking together. I see way more people out in my neighborhood. I've met more neighbors than I have had ever met before mm, the pandemic. That's fantastic. And so I think there is some good from it. And I hope that we can keep those pieces of good and like grow those, Mm -hmm. right? So it's better for you from a health standpoint to eat at home. It's better from you in terms of what you're eating and in terms of the activity that you're expending to cook at home and clean at home and serve at home, right? It's better for you as a family to walk. And people are doing that more now because there's nothing else to do, Mm -hmm. right? But, but let's, let's try to, to keep those positives, those slight changes that we've made in our lifestyle that yes. are positive, let's try to retain those Absolutely. as we hopefully come out of this into the spring. Right. Yes. I love it. Thank you so much. We have covered so many incredible things. Um, how can people get your your books and your information? How do people find you? Yeah, well, people can find out about me at the uncg.edu website. Um they can search for me there. Um, the books are available through Amazon and other booksellers. Amazing. Um, and our research is called the Physical Activity and Alzheimer's Disease 2 Study on Alzheimer's, um, mm-hmm. or PAD2 with two A's. We're mm-hmm. on Facebook, and we also have a, a website at UNCG. Amazing. Fantastic. This has been so wonderful. Thank you so much for your time and your efforts and your research and your passion behind all of this and helping create a more inviting world for children and adults to be excited about moving and exercising and showing us what, how that benefits our brain and our cognition. Thank you so, so much. Thank you so much. What a great opportunity and uh, appreciate your time. Awesome. And until next time, you guys, please review us if you haven't already or share us with your friends. In fact, just do that. You don't even have to review us. Just share the podcast. And uh, until next time, guys, we love you. See you later. Bye.